Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Let's pray real quick. Hallelujah, Father. We thank you, God, for the awesome, awesome promises that are contained in your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. And Lord, I thank you, God, that there are many, many people here today that are going to be set free and walk out of here today free in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Yes, Pastor Sean is correct. I'm just sitting over there during announcements about to jump out of my skin because I'm so looking forward to sharing uh, this chapter with you today. And when he said uh, at the beginning of the series, uh, which chapter would you like to take a chapter? I'm like, yeah, I want chapter 15. I mean, it's, it's such an awesome message in chapter 15. Those of you who have read ahead uh, and have already gone through chapter 15, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so this is going to break foundational fear off of people's lives. And let me say it this way. This isn't instructions about how to break foundational fear off of people's lives. I'm saying that today, as we go through this and look at this, this is going to break foundational fear off of people's lives. And you're going to see what I'm talking about here. Let's jump in almost all the way to the end of the chapter. So we're going to go all the way to verse 57, Um, and I know you're thinking, oh, so we're almost done, right? So uh, not so much, but uh, we are going to start there, and I'd like you to read this with me if you would, please. So verse 57, and it says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more time, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what victory? What victory? Now, you've heard this verse used many times. I've used this verse many times. Many different applications of this verse. Basically, any time we find ourselves in a situation where we need victory... A lot of times this verse gets quoted, you know, well, I'm struggling with sickness. Well, thanks be to God who leads us to victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, my finances, I've just had a struggle. That's don't worry about that. Thanks be to God who leads us to victory. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with applying this verse to a lot of different areas, circumstances, and situations, but... This is talking about a specific victory, and it is talking about a specific thing, and it's talking about the victory over death, victory over death. And his victory, Jesus' victory, is our victory. Because think about it. Jesus, seated in heavenly places, 
King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who spoke the worlds into existence with his own words, he didn't need victory over death. He's not intimidated by death. We needed victory over death. And so he got the victory for us. So his victory is our victory. The victory is ours. So let's, now that we've gone to the end of the chapter, let's leave the chapter altogether and let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to show you just a couple verses out of that. So Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death so that you wouldn't have to. Now jump down to verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now I want to read that last little bit from the Amplified Bible. It says, so that through experiencing death, he might make powerless, ineffective, impotent him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and that he might free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in slavery all their lives. Death is the foundational fear. And almost every other fear that we face in life can be traced back to, to the fear of death. You know, are you afraid of flying? I would say you're not afraid of flying. You're afraid of crashing. You're afraid of, uh, Mike and I were talking about this the other day. You're afraid of the quick, abrupt end of flying. You're afraid of dying. Are you afraid of being out on a boat in the water? You're not really afraid of the boat. You're afraid of drowning. Are you one of those who's afraid of snakes and spiders and things like that? I'm not real big on spiders. No, I, but really, I just don't want to get bit by a spider. I don't want harm to come to my body. So there's this, there's this foundational fear of death that branches all of these other fears in our life. And what Hebrews is saying right here is that that fear of death wants to keep you in bondage your whole life. The fear of death wants to affect the decisions you make. It wants to affect the, the way that you feel about certain things. It wants to affect where you go. It wants to affect what you do. It wants to affect what you think. And it wants to keep you bound up your whole life. But Jesus came to set us free. Amen? And so we're going to get free here today. So with all of that being said, I want to jump ahead to, uh, or jump back rather, to, to chapter 15, and we're going to go into verse 1, 
and we're going to just kind of plow through this. Chapter 15 is so cool because uh, unlike some of the other chapters in 1 Corinthians, it's very clear exactly from beginning to end what this chapter is communicating and what the message is. And it's kind of a self-enclosed sermon. I could just get up here and read the chapter and go sit down and, and there's a lot there without even expounding on it. So we're going to plow through a bunch of this here right now, and then we're going to come back and talk about it a little bit. So chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which, you, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, uh, and that he, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. By the way, that means some who have died. You're going to find out that the Bible refers to death most often, especially in the New Testament, as falling asleep. Because when you fall asleep, it's assumed that you're going to wake up. And so death is not the end. Death is not final. So some who have fallen asleep, verse 7. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So what Paul is doing here in these first few verses is he's laying a foundation. He, he's, he's telling you that the resurrection of Jesus is a well-known, uh, well-understood fact. And he's giving you a list of all the people that have seen Jesus after the resurrection. Okay, verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So I would say that it doesn't really get any more important than this. Was Jesus raised from the dead? You know, there are teachers and authors out there that would like to say that the most important thing when it comes to the life of Jesus is not the miracles or the resurrection or the cross or anything like that, but it's the teachings of Jesus. It's the principles and the precepts and the Sermon on the Mount and all of that. And I'm not downplaying the importance of the teachings of Jesus, but, you know, Paul says that without the resurrection... All of the teachings in vain. And that's what it says. Look, look at what it says in verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God, that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead 
and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean, first fruits? First fruits. That means that if it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. That means if Jesus did it, you're going to do it. And that means that Jesus was not the last person to be raised from the dead. He was the first fruits. So this is for us. Um, Verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Amen. Verse 35. But some, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So I guess my question is, if we have victory over death, should we be afraid of it? Should we be in terror of death? Should we be in fear of death if we have victory over it? You know, death for the believer, death for the Christian, the child of God, is not the end. It's a transition. It's like you're here, and then you're going to go over here. Birth is an arrival. Death is a departure. It's not the end. And yet, I think there are many, many, many believers, Christians, who live in fear of death. They're worried about it. They're tormented about it. Why are we worried that we may die? Why are we worried that we may die? Well, let me clear it up for you. There isn't any may about it, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly inevitable. Now, when Jesus returns, there will be people alive at that moment. And for those people, the experience will be different. We're going to actually read about that here in a second. But for everybody else, there isn't any may. You, you will die. Your body will die. Um, So my first point is, life is short. It is. Life is very short. Um, How many people here, show of hands, how many people here were born in the 1600s? Okay. 
I'm trying to see through the stage lights. I don't see anybody. 1700s? 1800s. I think we may have gotten to the point in human history now where I think everybody, like the, somebody born 1899, they're all gone, right? I mean, the oldest living person, probably right around 1900. So I think 1800s. So basically, those people are gone. They're not here. Now, let's say Jesus comes back in 100 years from now, okay? 100 years. How many of us will be here for that? How many? I'm not going to be here for that if that's when he comes back. Now, some of you September 23rd people may think it's going to be a lot sooner than that. But uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. We won't talk about it. But if he comes back in 100 years, you're going to be gone. You're not going to be here. Should that worry us? Should that terrify us? Should we live in fear over the fact that there's going to be a point where we depart from this world? You know, when, uh, when David <clears throat> was about to die, he said, I go the way of all the earth. It's kind of a poetic way of saying that uh, I'm about to die because everything in this world dies. We live in a fallen world, don't we? This is a, that things decay. Things wind down. If you remember back to your science class in high school, the laws of thermodynamics, that's in there. Things wind down. Things decay. David said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Actually, a recent census um, put out the statistic that every second, somewhere in the world, two people die. So, two people, two more, two more, two more, two more. I told you this was going to be an awesome message. <laughs> so, by the end of the day, that's about 156,000 people. And about 57 million people by the end of the year, somewhere in the world, statistically, on average. Two more, two more. At some point, that two more is going to be you and me, right? Now, you may be saying, uh, Aaron, I don't like to think about this. That's why we're talking about it, because you need to get free. And Jesus wants you free. He sets you free from this fear. You don't need to be bound by the fear of death for your whole life. You need to be free from it. So we have strong Christians who are tormented by the fear of death that do everything they can to hold on to as much of this life as possible as if this is all there is, as if this is all there is, when we know that it's not just this life. Look at James 4.14. Uh, verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. 
And so you may think about your life in the context of this time that we have here, and it may seem like a long time. I've been here however many decades. I've got kids now. I've got, I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking, but what the Bible says is that your life is like that. It's like you're born, you're here, and you're gone. And should that terrify us? Should that cause fear? I think it should cause us to be sober-minded. I think it should cause us to not uh, look in on our own life and say, what can I do to get the most out of the time I have here? And rather say, what can I do to make the biggest impact with the short time that I have? And so I actually, uh, I had an illustration that I was going to do. Um, but I, there's a video out there that I think does a much better job. And so um, let's play this video. Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. <laughs> and you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about that? What about all this stuff? It's just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can, Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all the stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because it's going to affect all of this. <laughs> Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, 
It doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying. Down here, it's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's, it's this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line. And I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining. He goes, I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out, and I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges, and he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it, and I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me, because I'm going to pass that line well. This life is so short, and um, we have to be uh, on task and on target about the purpose of this life and our purpose here. Uh, I want to read out of Psalms chapter 90 and get God's perspective on this, what we're talking about right here. So Psalms chapter 90, verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So how long has God existed? From everlasting. How long will God exist? To everlasting. God has existed forever and will exist forever. Last week, Pastor Sean talked about how God exists outside of time. And that is a difficult thing for our minds to really comprehend because we don't have a context for it really. And, but God does not, it's not just that God lives forever and he moves through time like we do, but just lives forever. No, he exists outside of time. Listen to what Jesus said when he was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew, uh, or no, John eight fifty seven. Uh, the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We were, as Boyd and I were talking about the name of Jesus and how the name of Jesus, if you trace it back, means I am. I am. That's present tense for those of you who remember English grammar, right? I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. That's because God is currently present at all points of history. He looks down at history while we move through time in a linear fashion. God sees all points simultaneously. He is present right now in your past. He is present right now in your future. And he is present right here, right now. We say God sees the end from the beginning. That's because he's at the end and he's at the beginning. So God exists outside of time. So I want, to get you, I want you to get a picture of that. <clears throat> now, if we go back to Psalms 90 and just drop down a couple verses to verse 4, uh, 
this is going to talk about how God, who exists outside of time, perceives the passage of time. Okay? So this is talking about how God views and perceives time passing. And guess what? He sees the passage of time in a different way than you and I do. So Psalms 90 verse 4 says this, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. So, we've uh, talked about a little science from school. We've talked about a little grammar from school. Let's talk about a little math. I didn't intend to go into all the subjects today, um, but it's kind of where we're headed. So, if a thousand years to us is just like a day to God, then can't we just move the decimal point over? So a day is a 24-hour period, right? So if a 1,000 years is like a 24-hour period, if our 1,000 years is like a 24-hour period to God, then 100 years for us would be about two and a half hours, God's time, right? So you think about someone who's lived a long, full life, you know, 100 years old, Well, to God, to his perspective, the way he perceives the passage of time, that's about two and a half hours. Now, you don't know know very many people that live to 100, um, so if you move that even back to 80, which is probably a little more accurate as far as, uh, you know, how long someone lives, that's about two hours. So as God views your life, and, and in the context of eternity, we are here for about two hours, which that sounds a little bit better than that. But still, you know, when you think about the passage of time and how long you have to be here, a thousand years is as a day. A hundred years is about two and a half hours long. So Jesus is coming back, and there will be people alive on the earth when he comes back. But if he waits 20 or 30 minutes his time, that might be too long for a lot of people in this room. And so we have to have the right view and the right perspective on our life and our purpose here. Psalms 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And the New Century Version puts it this way. Teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. Now, that first point was life is short. And this life is short. But my second point is this. Life is eternal. Our, Our whole life. Because when this life is over, our life isn't over. Our life here is over. So we have established that life is short and our bodies are going to die. But the good news is, and this is exceedingly good news, and I'm not going to talk about how short your life is. Let's talk about something else. You will never see death. If you are in this room 
and you believe in Jesus and you've given your life to him and he's made you a new creation inside, you will never see death. I spoke at my uncle's funeral a few weeks ago and um, at, at one point in the service, I, I made the comment about how, you know, he's not here. He's not here. Now, of course, his body was right there, just a few feet away from me. But I said, he's not here. And you all know what I mean when I say that. Because my uncle is still alive. Now, his body's not alive. Does everybody understand that? He's still alive. He still exists. So if at the, at, at the, the time of his funeral, he was still alive, and two weeks prior to that, he was alive at his doctor's appointment, what happened in between? What changed? And uh, I want to let Jesus answer that question. So... Let's look at John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. He's talking, Jesus is talking to Martha at Lazarus' grave. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And, who, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Though he die, he never dies. And actually, Jesus says it even more importantly. I think if you can say that, there's a more important addressing of this in John 5:24. And he says this, "Truly, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life." If you're a child of God, you have already passed from death to life. That's already happened you have already entered into eternal life. Eternal life isn't something that begins at the conclusion of this life here. For you, eternal life has already begun. You've already passed from death to life. Our bodies die, but we don't die. Listen to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. <clears throat> Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is, our earthly home is destroyed. And just so you know, when Paul is talking about the tent, our earthly home, he's talking about our bodies. Okay? For we know that if the tent, that is, our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Any of you wake up this morning and groan a little bit? It's okay. Uh, uh, verse 3, if indeed by putting it on, we may uh, not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we were at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So uh, 
I'm going to say that the fact that our bodies die is actually a good thing. Because we know that we have eternal life, right? Right? And I don't think we want to spend eternal life in these bodies. Someday, there'll be something up there. And we have a promise that, that even though... And now listen, I believe in healing 100%. I believe that if you're sick... You can call on the name of the Lord. You can claim the promises of God. You can command sickness to go. I believe that that's a provision and a part of our salvation. But we do live in a world that's decaying, and we live in tents that are decaying and groaning and creaking and popping and all sorts of things. And we do have an inner longing to be clothed with something better, something more. Uh, What I just read, what is mortal longs to be swallowed up by life. That's a desire that God placed on the heart of every one of us. So let's go back into chapter 15, and we're going to start wrapping up the end of this chapter here. So we're going to go all the way down to verse 50. Verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up by victory, in victory. And then Paul quotes this little passage here and kind of taunts death, and I like it. O death, where is your sting? O Hades or grave? Where is your victory? Any of you who have ever attended a funeral of a loved one or stood at the graveside of a loved one has felt to some degree or another the sting of death. But what does verse 57 say? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked about how this life is short, and we've talked about how our, our complete life is eternal. And my last point is this. In Jesus, there is no loss. Because what is at the heart of the fear of death? What is at the basis or the base or the foundation of the fear of death? Is it pain or something like that? No, not really. I mean, that might be an element of it. But what it, what, what's at the heart of the fear of death is the fear of loss. And I think that we've already established that for the person who passes away, there is no loss. I mean, we've already covered enough ground in the Bible to demonstrate beyond the shadow of any doubt that 
when you leave this body, it's an upgrade. I mean, Paul talks about that. And he even says uh, in Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is loss. No. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I don't think anybody in here is going to argue with that. But if I had to guess what some of you might be thinking, my guess would be that you would say, yeah, I get it. Somebody that I know went to heaven, and I know they're in a better place. I get it. They're not the ones suffering the loss, Aaron. I'm the one suffering the loss. The loss is being suffered by me. The loss is being suffered by those who are still here. I get it. I understand that. But let me ask you this question. How many of you in here want to live a long, full life? Right? Psalms 91 even promises, with long life, I will satisfy him. Well, if you live a long, full life, you are going to go to a lot of funerals. You are. It would be very naive to think that you're going to be one of those people that lives to 100 years old or even 80 years old and you get away with not going to any funerals. You're going to go to funerals of friends, funerals of neighbors, funerals of coworkers. You're going to go to funerals of parents, siblings, maybe spouses, maybe children. And should that possibility be a deal breaker? Should the terror of that take you out? Is that going to torture you? Is it too much? Because the Bible says that there should be a difference in the way that we grieve. Now, nobody's going to say that you shouldn't grieve. That would be ridiculous. But the Bible clearly says there should be a difference. Someone who is born of God, someone who lives with the promise of eternity, should be looking at this situation in a completely different way. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. There it is, fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 1 Thessalonians says that if you react to someone passing away, someone who's a loved one passing away, and if you react the same way as someone who doesn't know Jesus, who does not have the promise of heaven, who does not have, does not have the hope of heaven, 1 Thessalonians says that that's ignorant. Not stupid, but ignorant as in a lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, lack of revelation. 
You know, do you grieve when your loved ones go to sleep? You don't. Why? Because they're going to wake up. You're going to go to sleep. And you're going to wake up with them. And yet the Bible continuously, continuously refers to death as sleep. Why? Because it's the same. You're going to have loved ones go to sleep. They're going to wake up. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to wake up. I want you to imagine with me a situation Um, imagine that you get contacted and informed that a distant relative, a very, very wealthy distant relative, has passed away and has left in their will for you a tropical island with a large estate with a staff, a gardener, a housekeeper. I mean, it's just this palatial, tropical island paradise, and it is yours. It's completely yours. And you are taken care of. Now, the deal is, you have to go claim it now. You, you have to go now and, and possess it and claim it and take ownership of this estate. Are you with me? Can you kind of imagine that? But you can't do that because you still have affairs to take care of here. All right? So imagine instead that your spouse leaves and goes to this island paradise with this estate and begins to set up your new life there. And you'll be going there too. Now, your spouse won't be coming back here right? Because that's where your new life is. And it's not going to be fun to be separated. But does it break you down with grief? Is it a deal breaker? Does it twist your perspective so much that you can't move on? No, it doesn't, because you know that you're going to be joining your spouse there, and it's going to be the best thing ever. And that's how we should process death as a child of God. Because in that situation right there, the fear of death has no hold. There's nothing, there's no fear there. There's nothing gripping you. There's nothing weighing you down. All there is is hope. Now we've gotten all the way down to the end except for the last verse. And I want to read the last verse. Actually, I want to back up to 57 one more time. And we've already read it through, but it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen to this from the Living Bible Translation. So, my dear brothers, since future victory is sure, be strong and steady, always abounding in the Lord's work. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever wasted, as it would be if there were no resurrection. The hope of the resurrection and the victory over death that Jesus has won for us should completely affect our perspective of this life. It should free us up to be able to serve God in a bold way, without fear, without worry, without hesitation. So what I want to do is right now I want to pray over you guys and then I want to, I want to give you an opportunity as well. Father, I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would set people free from the fear of death, from the fear of loss. I pray, God, that any bondage and any hold that that's had over their life would be broken now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that they would leave this place free, at liberty, able to embrace your plan and your purpose for their life with no hesitation and no fear. And we break the power of that lying spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, one last thing. The band's going to do a song here, and I want to say this. You know, if you are born again, you have this promise that we've been talking about all day. If you have never, however, made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you've never asked him to take over and invited him into your life, then you do not have this promise, but you can today. And so I want to lead you in one more prayer and then invite you. So let's pray one more time. Father, I pray that by right now, by your spirit, you would draw people to you. Lord, you said no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit first draws them. So, Lord, I pray your Spirit draw anybody in here that is separated from you. Draw them to you right now in Jesus' name. Draw them to you, Lord God. Reveal your love to them in a powerful way in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if that's you and you've never asked the Lord to come into your life, and you've never given your heart to the Lord, then uh, at the end of this service, I'm gonna be down here. Our prayer team will be down here. And uh, I have something I wanna, I wanna talk to you and I wanna give this to you right here. And this is gonna help you with the next step. And I wanna pray with you. So here's what we're gonna do. Let's stand up and we're gonna praise God one more time. Are you guys ready to praise God? Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.